I want to begin with an experience that I'm kind of embarrassed by, but in Southern California, we had the privilege of working at this beautiful church serving there, and I was often the first person to our church property on Sunday mornings because of our youth services starting early, and I had gotten there one really early morning to find our parking lot look like a lake, and what we later find out after doing some serious investigation is that there was one of these on our church property, it's a backflow valve, and a Apparently, uh, on the, the, in the uh, recyclables market, you can melt one of these down for about $50. And somebody had hacksawed off, of course it was on Sunday morning of all times, had hacksawed off one of these and ended up uh, basically turning our parking lot into a flooded zone, right? So it made church really complicated, thousands of dollars in repair. And it wasn't that time, but it was the next time that it happened because it happened again driving into church on a Sunday morning that just for a moment, now I'm confessing now, for just for a moment, I kind of thought, what would it be like if God just uh, lightning bolted somebody? You know, like we, we just found like a hacksaw and a pair of shoes and a little bit of smoke, you know? Like, like, like what would it be like if God's judgment was like that? And I share it with you this morning because it didn't take me long to think about that and to think I'm so glad that God doesn't give us what we deserve, right? That I'm so glad we just sang about it. We, we talk about it. We talk about grace and we talk about it in such a way that it's God not giving us what we deserve and him giving us what we don't deserve, the blessing of his loving kindness. And I think that for some of us today, when it comes to this question, there's a question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. And that is, when it comes to God's creation, why is it that he's left us here? Why are you and I still here? Yes, that is the Star Trek backdrop, right? And can you imagine like Elijah as a Christ follower, if at the moment that we came to Christ, that God just beamed us up, wouldn't that be awesome? Some of us like, I'm in, let's go, right? That, that if, if at the moment that we turned our lives to Christ, what if he chose to do that for us? But what we know about our God is that there's two sides of this. One of them is he's a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, that he does not give us what we deserve. And what we also know about our God, for those of us who are Christ followers, is that he's chosen to use us to be ambassadors for grace. And so when we see this phrase, why are we still here that unlike Elijah, that he took up to be with him, absent from the body, present with the Lord, what he's chosen to do for you and I is to embody what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some have counted slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This statement is one that answers that question for us. Why is it that the Lord is slow at times to return, to take us home, to allow us to graduate, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord? He's got work for us to do. I think he also wants us to experience the fullness of his grace. And this morning, we're going to hear the story as we study in the book of Acts together of three people who in some ways lacked something. They had blessings or they had experienced something, but they still needed something more. One, a woman who was wealthy. We know her by name, Lydia. She had been blessed. She'd experienced 
the blessings of life, and yet she still longed for something more. The second was an unnamed servant girl who we're going to see the things that had been oppressed upon her. She'd been objectified and turned into something that was just a possession. That that even that thing was taken away and she's still going to be precious. We're going to see two men or a group of men who had been imprisoned for their faith because of representing the truth of the gospel. And we're going to see the impact of that when God reminds us that they're precious. And then finally, the very man who was given the responsibility of holding these men in prison, that this man is going to come to the end of his rope. He's going to be moments before committing suicide, and he's going to experience the loving kindness of a God who wishes that none should perish. My prayer for you this morning as we study God's word is that as we study these stories that you see yourself in the midst of this. For those of you who have yet to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that you would see that his grace is sufficient no matter what our story is. For those of us who placed our faith in Christ that this morning we would be reminded through the example of these disciples that, that there's gonna be this moment in the middle of this where they're literally set free, I believe, by the handiwork of God, and yet they still choose to set aside what's comfortable for them and even their freedom for the sake of the very man who had enslaved them, who had put them in shackles. It's incredible. And today we're going to see God's amazing, long-standing grace that, that draws to us an understanding of his word. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to pick up in verse 11. As these men obey the Macedonian call that God has drawn them to a group of people that are going to have a tremendous impact for the sake of the kingdom. Verse 11 says this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to the island of Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis, which is in modern day Greece, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. This place was known as a very special place in the ancient world. It was known for its natural fountains and, and the, the fact that there was these natural springs that were there. It was known for its gold that they had found in that area. But, but most interesting to me is that it's going to be known as a place where gospel, the gospel is found for a group of people in that region that desperately needed to receive it. It's going to be a place that's a fountain of life. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside of the gate to the riverside where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. This open air place of prayer was actually a, a source of pain probably for them. Due to the fact that there's no longer a synagogue, the rule to have a synagogue in those ancient times would have been 10 men that could uh, make up a synagogue. There weren't 10 Jewish men in that community. They believed because of the historic persecution, uh, there was a kind of a diaspora of Jews in that region. And so there's not enough individuals to make a synagogue, but there's a group of women that are praying faithfully. And, the, and these women, some might have overlooked, but the Apostle Paul, following the lead of the Lord Jesus Christ, when, when the Lord encountered the woman at the well, they're, they're precious to these, these individuals, these men that are pursuing seekers of God. And so in this open air area, as, as these prayers are seeking God, they, they come into this place. And on this special Sabbath day, they interact with this woman. It says, and we sat down and we spoke to the woman who had, women who had come together. And here, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, 
a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. We, we don't know a ton about Lydia, but what we know is that she was wealthy enough to have a home that other people could sleep in, which would have been very unusual, that her, her name describes her work, that she was successful in her job. And it comes, brings to the surface the, the first point this morning. And, and what Lydia, what we know from the text is that Lydia wanted something more though. She'd been blessed. And I want to remind you, church, this morning, when we have it all, and we still want more, there is freedom. Lydia had value, but the Lord's grace is sufficient for those of us who still, even in the midst of our blessing, seek more out of life. It says this, the Lord opened her heart. This is what God's in the business of doing, by the way. For some of you, I'm praying this for you, that are discouraged. Like Sarah in her testimony, when she shared this, she's saying, I don't know how to feel I pray that the Lord in his supernatural strength opens your heart to pay attention, to hear what God is saying to you. And again, this was God's work. God was doing the handiwork, the surgery that he was doing for her. Verse 15, she ends up hearing the truth of the gospel, that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for her sins, that she was no longer a slave to the law, that, that her wealth was not sufficient for her, but in her weakness, she could depend on a God that loves her. I, I don't know if any of you fit this category. Some of you might, uh, but uh, I, we have had the privilege of being around some people who were very wealthy. And in, in uh, Dallas, when I was in seminary, I had the privilege of living behind a back house or in a back house that was behind an over $7 million home. Uh, Jerry Jones was our neighbor, if you know that name. Some of you know Jerry Jones, Dallas Cowboys. Um, the, George Bush, the former president, uh, had a home right around the corner from our house. It was an amazing neighborhood. And um, in that a church that we served at there, we were in a small group. And um, now Ali and I were kind of on the, the mac and cheese and ramen noodle kind of diet at that stage in our life because we were in grad school, didn't have a lot of money to our name. And in our small group, when we were going around the, the prayer request time, one of the folks shared about the fact that they were frustrated because they had a vacation scheduled on the yacht. And um, once you get the, the chef and the maids and the, uh, the, key, uh, the, it's just too crowded on the yacht, you know, and you guys feel bad for them right now, right? But, but actually, as we grew to, to know people, what we've realized, and this is, I want to say this carefully, but we've realized that, that wealth does not solve all of your problems, right? That, that, that financial abundance doesn't necessarily fix everything that's difficult in your life. And, and in Lydia's case, what we see from the text is that she was a woman who was blessed, but she did not allow her possessions to possess her. Uh, some people can do that, right? Their possessions can be the thing that defines them. They, they own them at some level. And what Lydia does, we're going to see this later in the text, is that after she becomes a believer, she's going to be very open-handed with her things. Her family is going to come to Christ. There's going to be blessing and the church is going to be established partially because of the fact that Lydia is so generous with her things. So we know that there's this thing, the Lord Jesus says this in Matthew 13, he calls it the deceitfulness of wealth. Isn't that an interesting phrase? That there's a deceitfulness in wealth that can allow it to be the very thing that defines us. But instead, what I believe that she did, she did was she allowed her wealth to be put in a place where God chose to use it in a mighty way. This leads us 
to another need of God's grace, another person in need of God's grace. And here, what we see in verse 16 is, as they were going to the place of prayer, again, this outdoor prayer meeting that God was at work in, they're going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. The, the value of this, wo- this young woman would have been limited by what she could contribute. And I want you to catch this this morning. This is so important. I skipped over this this morning in the first service and I regret it because it's such a valuable point. And that is in the midst of this time period, here she is a something to be possessed, objectified. We're gonna see that her owners at that time are gonna be upset about the fact that she can no longer provide for them what she wants, what they want from her. And here in the midst of this, we realize though that she's precious because of the fact that she's a human being. She's an image bearer of the living God. That her her inherent value is because of her designer, that she represents God in the world that we live in, not because of what she can contribute. And and what happens here is that we're told in the text that, that they were met by this slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And they brought, she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Uh, We are reminded in scripture that the powers and principalities of darkness are what we battle against. They're real. There is a real power that is in the the demonic forces around us. But I also want to remind you something. For, For those of us who understand the one true God, that he is sovereign and he is also all knowing. But the powers and principalities of darkness do not know the future. And, and there's a, a story that intersected with my family, where um, my extended family, where there was a family member of mine that had gone to, uh, had participated in a party when she was young uh, with a Ouija board. Some of you are familiar with this, and it's a, it can be something that can be involved in kind of demonic things. And she used the, the Ouija board, and, and the question that was asked was, will I ever have children? And at a young age, as a teenager, it said that she would never have teenage, uh, have children. And, and that, that wonderful woman would later say that it wasn't until the day that her first son was born that she realized that that was just a lie from the pit of hell. Do you understand that? And, and for some of us, this, this darkness that was surrounding, it says that they were a fortune teller. Well, they were a fraud, obviously. But it was in such a way, especially in those days, that it had gathered attention. People were surrounding this young slave girl because of the demonic presence that was in her life. And it says that they brought her owners much profit through her for, fortune telling. But, um, but what we see as we come to the second point this morning is when what is precious to us is taken away, I want to remind you of that second phrase, there is freedom. God's grace is sufficient for those who've experienced loss. Others can take away significant things from us, but they cannot take away the most important thing about us. Uh, the scenario got a little bit more bizarre. This, this young, demonically influenced woman follows Paul around in verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God. How, 
who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now we, we read this at first and we say, well, what's wrong with that? But my guess is in understanding this is that this was probably like those individuals that took that crown of thorns and placed those on the head of the Lord Jesus Christ and put a plaque above him that said the king of the Jews, right? That this is, this is more than likely a mockery of what's happening, even though it's true. And what we see in verse 18 is this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said in the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. We're on the winning team, by the way, that, that God has authority over the powers and principalities of darkness, that there was, there was no question of who was going to win this because of God's name, his power, and his authority. And it came out of her that very hour. You know, we, we, we look at this, this little life and, and she was looked at from the perspective of what she could give to her owners. She was objectified and used as a utensil. But I remember that I want to remind you this morning that all humanity is precious because they're image bearers of the living God. She was discarded in this case, but she was still precious. You understand that? For some of us in the room, we feel this way. We've experienced this in our lives. We've recognized that that we've experienced great evil done to us and it has defined us in so many ways. And what we see in the text is that in verse 19, it's kind of amplified. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, then they're gonna, they're gonna try to get people to turn against these servants of the living God. It's a, it's a tragic moment in history, but it's important for us to remember. You know, there's two times in the book of Acts when Gentiles attack Christians. They, and it's both times it's impacting, it's when what was happening was impacting their pocketbooks. <laughs> you mess with the economy, right? You mess with someone's finances and it really agitates them. And that's what happened here. The, the source of, of profit, this, this young woman, they don't care about her, but they care about the profit that she represented. And, and it's intriguing to me. It says this, then they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. There were these two magistrates that would have been the highest rulers in that, in that community, that Roman colony. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these two men, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. And then the crowds joined in and attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off of them. This is off of Paul. This is off of, of these, these servants of the living God, Paul and Silas. Silas. The, they tore the garments off of them and they gave orders to beat them with rods. That is a lie, by the way. You look at this. The, the accusation, what was, what was put at risk was their pocketbook. And so what they chose to do in response was to make these lies that ultimately lead to what Paul would later say as they were treated shamefully, stripped they're beaten. Now, there, you may have seen these before. There are coins that symbolize this, but these individuals, we use this phrase in English sometimes to get your licks. And it comes from this historical time period in history when a lictor would have been um, a Roman person who was an enforcer. And they used these fasces. They were bundles that would wrap, of sticks that would wrap around an axe. And the axe would symbolize their ability to provoke corporal punishment, to take someone's life because of their disobedience. And the sticks around them would be used, uh, the, the leather thong would be taken off and they, the stick would be used to beat someone. And that's exactly what happens to Paul and Silas. 
They, they are falsely accused. They're attacked. They're beat down. And then they're put in the hands of the next individual that we see that's going to receive grace. And, and that is a jailer, a jailer that we don't know his name of, but it says this in verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. This man, that what we do know about him is he was a man of authority. He was a man who was used to having people obey him. He was a man of wealth. He had a home and he was, was in this community, someone who was respected, but he was weary of these men. And after receiving this order, it says in verse 24, he put them into the inner prison. I wonder if their reputation had superseded them of escape in the past. So now they're placed in prison, in the inner prison, and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, so now these guys who've been falsely accused, their freedom has been taken away, Right? that they, they were, were functioning in a way that was appropriate. And because they impacted the economy of the day, they were enslaved. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. What? Wait, wait a second. What, what just happened? So, so they were free. They were, they were shackled. And now at midnight, what these guys choose to do, did you, did you read it? They have a worship service in the middle of this prison. Isn't that incredible? I don't know what the last six months has looked like for you in your life. I know for, for many of us, the way that the last six months played out has been different than what we anticipated in 2020, right? Uh, that the, the experience has been painful, difficult, discouraging, frustrating. But the people who I want to be around are the people who've chosen to say, yeah, but God's good. We, we got this. There, there's still things to look forward to. God's on the move. I trust that he's, he's got us covered. And, and you know, the way that, that these individuals chose to respond was to not be beaten down and discouraged and to give up. But instead, what we get to see is this divine worship service. Jim, isn't that incredible to think as a worshiper what that would have been like? And you know what I love about it as you lead us in worship and the team is that, is that there's other prisoners that are there in that room that are going to be impacted by this, this moving hand of God, the graciousness that God shows through these men. I love the way that Harry Ironside puts it. He says, the world is watching Christians. And when they see Christians shaken by circumstances as they themselves are, they conclude that after all, there is very little to Christianity. Do you hear that? Like if, if we're just getting our bell rung like everybody else gets their bell rung, they're, they're, they're basically looking at us and they're saying, what's the big deal? But when they find Christians raising, rising above their circumstances and glorying in the Lord, even in the deepest trial, then even the unsaved realize the Christian has something in knowing Christ to which they are strangers. Do you get that? So, so when we are people who can raise above the shackles, when we're people who can experience joy in the midst of great pain, people notice it. And that's exactly what happened here. In this spiritual battle, we recognize we're on the winning side. We recognize that God's on the move. We can celebrate his goodness. And what, what happened then was incredible in verse 26. It says, and suddenly there was an earthquake, a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all of the doors were open. Okay, so this is God's hand. This isn't just an earthquake. This is a, I'm setting the prisoners free earthquake. 
And immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. That's the other guys too. This is everybody who was in prison that day were set free. And then the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open. Let me pause there for a second. We know from the Code of Justinian and other historical documents that a, a guard who lost those who he was looking over was, was, um, was liable to receive the same punishment as those whom he was guarding. We've, we've seen this in Acts before. And there's this moment in history where he literally goes to take his own life because he realized there's no hope. It's, it's devastating. Their shackles are free, but they're all still standing together in the room. They're all there, right there together. And they see this man take up his sword. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing, assuming that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. That all statement's interesting because you know there were other people that were in that, that prison cell that day. There were other people that were surrounding. They all stuck around. I don't know if that's evidence of the fact that this worship service was so profound that they were still frozen by the God that can set people free from life to death, can allow an earthquake to literally, remember it wasn't just doors, right? It's their shackles that are undone because of the handiwork of God. And when the jailer woke, saw all this happen, Paul cried this out in a loud voice and the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he said something that some of us in this room may need to say. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> that phrase is a great phrase. The, the one who was the one who turned the keys that was used to giving orders, he realized that he was not in control. The one who had come to the end of his own life, Sarah's testimony is so profound to me. They ring so true to me because there's a time for many of us that we have to get to where we're at the end of ourselves, that we've come to the extent of our capacity and we find ourselves saying, what must I do to be saved? And here it leads to the third point this morning. And that is, this guy just realized he was fighting for the wrong team. He just, he realized he was on the wrong side of this. He, he realized that, that the, the shackles that he placed on these men, these are actually his brothers. And, and that, the, his, that Lydia was to be his sister, that they were going to be a part of a community that he'd been fighting for the wrong things. But when we realize that, it's possible for us to experience freedom. Verse 31 puts it this way. Says, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This request to him and his household, this salvation didn't extend to the household, but it was this belief is an option for you and your household. Believe and be saved. What we know in God's word is that the gospel is pretty clear in God's word. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us. I love to use that illustration of jumping the Grand Canyon. It doesn't, if you tried, you may be able to jump further than I can, but we're both not gonna make it very far, right? That, that there's an insufficiency in our capacity for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And then it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. The, the symbolism of the cross is a reminder that his death was so that we don't have to anticipate death in the same way we've been set free. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be, what's the word? Saved. Uh, salvation is something that is based on grace. It's a gift from the Lord. It's what he's offered to each one of us. And here, this man who was the one who captivated these men would ultimately be the one who experiences salvation from their kind hands. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him in verse 32 and to all who were in the house. And I just love this privilege. They, they get to hear the gospel and praise of the Lord. They received it. And then this, this really cool verse in verse 33. It says, and he took them. This is that guard again. He took them that same hour of the night and he washes their wounds. So, so can you picture the blood that's on them, the, the pain, this, the, this, this, this horrific experience from the beating they'd experienced. And then he washes them and then they turn around and they baptize him. Isn't that cool? So, so probably in that same water, they turn around and they, those who had the privilege of sharing the gospel with him have the privilege of baptizing him. And this is just this awesome moment. And then they have a party. It says that they... Um, then they brought, verse 34, then he brought them up into the house. They set food before them and he rejoiced with his entire household that he believed in God. Do, do you get what just we get to experience in this night in history is that here these guys are in, in, in shackles and then they get set free. The jailer comes to Christ and then they have this huge party. All the while you forget that they were supposed to be in jail, right? Uh, th that's what was supposed to happen. In fact, we see this in verse 38. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let these men go. <laughs> oh yeah, they're prisoners. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Uh, before we, we see how this all pans out, I want to point out a few things that are valuable. Um, the one is that God's grace is sufficient for even those who've given up. For some of us, we have family members. For some of us, maybe even in this room, uh, we can relate to this prison guard that his hope had been lost. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, what he chose to do was listen to the voice of God through these, these messengers of hope. What a, what a privilege, right? I also think as messengers of hope, it's important for us to understand that sometimes our personal freedoms need to be set aside for the sake of the most important kind of freedom for others. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes our personal freedoms need to be set aside for the sake of the most important kind of freedom for others. Some of you are reading this story and you go, hey, God opens the door for me and he breaks the shackles off. I'm gone, right? Like, like I'm, I'm out of there. Obviously, God was at work in this, right? He set them free. But their grace was so great that they decided to have compassion Upon this man, they were willing to set aside their comfort, how they were going to spend that night just because they had a really, really big God, didn't they? Like you get that sense? Like they had a really big God. We got this. If, if we get reshackled, he can set us free again if it's what he wants to do. They, they're not living in fear. They're living above the circumstances, right? That's what he's offered to you and I as Christ followers, the ability to be above our circumstances. And I, I want to say this, I hope this is helpful. The greater the pain in our lives, I believe the larger the opportunity to put God's loving kindness on display, right? 
the very man who had, was involved in the group that had harassed them and enslaved them would also be the very man that would be uh, able to be set free th through their grace. So, so here we see in the text that they'd, um, they'd been told, oh yeah, by the way, uh, you were supposed to be in jail still, um, but they have decided to set you free. And, and we'll go back to verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly. They've un, uh, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have been thrown, we've been thrown into prison. Do they now throw us out secretly? No, this is Paul. Let them come themselves and take us out. <laughs> now, now, we look at this and we see wow, how brash of the Apostle Paul, how powerful, like what's he doing? He wants them to apologize now. Uh, but what I believe he was doing as the church in Philippi had yet to be established, that he wanted to make sure that the name of Christ was protected in that community. He didn't want to be known as a person who had escaped prison. Um, alone. He didn't want to be known as a criminal. They didn't want to associate with criminal. But instead, what they wanted to do was to say, we did nothing worth what you've done to us. And then what happened? The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Verse 39. So they came and they apologized to him, just like Paul had asked. And they took the prison. Um, they, took, uh, um, they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison. They visited Lydia, who we got to meet at the beginning of this section. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and they departed. What an awesome moment in history. I want you to see this picture. You, you picture this person on the top of a mountain. And he's looking across and I, I can't help but think when I look at this image of, of this is what happened with the disciples. They, they overcame. They, they were above all of the, the chaos that had exper they'd experienced. They were able to, in the midst of an incredible moment in history, continue to submit to and hear the voice of God. For, for some of us in this room this morning, I, I think it's essential for us to just remember that we have that, that capability. There's no promise that our circumstances are going to be easy. There's no promise that there's not peaks and valleys that are ahead for us, that the, the battle is going to be an easy one. They still had wounds that had to heal. They had experienced great sacrifice and loss for the sake of the gospel. But it does not mean that God ever forsook them. And, and for some of us in this room this morning, I just want to remind you, your circumstances, you may be an up and outer. You, you may have experienced what the world has to offer, but there's a part of you that longs for something more. You may be a person in this room that has been abandoned, that, that you've been spent, you've been used up, that you've been discarded by a world that has a really, does a really good job of that, but that there's still value and you're precious to the God who invented you. There may be some of you in the room like those disciples that are striving to serve the Lord and it's difficult and you're experiencing challenging times, but it doesn't mean that he's not in control and he's not sovereign. And for some of you, you may have made it to a point in your life where like this jailer that, that all hope was lost, but he was so close to being found, right? All hope had been lost, but he was so close to being found if he opened his ears to hear the truth that God had for him that he could be saved. And so for each one of us today, those who've experienced the truth of the gospel in our own lives, I, as I invite the worship team to come forward, I wanna encourage you to consider if you've experienced that personally in your life, it is our privilege to be people who set aside what's comfortable for us 
to be willing to take the pain of sharing the gospel and the truth of hope to other people because of the fact that he gives us grace. He's chosen to allow us to still be here because we still have work to be done. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. Thank you for this electrified moment in history where your grace is on display. You constantly display grace. Um, It's amazing, Lord. It's absolutely incredible to see your grace at work on our behalf. And I pray that as we close this service out and um, worship to you, Lord, I pray that these words would be honest, that they'd represent our hearts, Lord, that we thank you that you can truly set us free. In Jesus' precious and holy name, all God's people said, amen.